have you heard your inner child is an idiot? Uh, yeah, this is like the, the gay guy and the other guy and yeah. they're like talking. Oh, it's going to, it's going to change your life. Ugh, see, you've already put me on a path to not liking it as much. <laughs> Do the uh, the intro. Oh, okay. Uh, See if you can do it while gargling coffee. Welcome to your inner child is an idiot. The podcast where we look back on the stuff from your childhood and decide if it was any good. My name is Damon. I'm DJ. Good job, buddy. Thank you. I don't typically do the <laughs> intro. Always thrown off when I have to. Um, it's harder than you'd think for dumb people. Like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd think, I mean, I've only heard it, what, 130 times now? <laughs> we've, we've only been doing this for six years. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> time. Where does the time go? Moves forward. Um, today, we're going to talk about Garden State. Well, since I'm hosting, I will say today we're going to be talking yeah. about Garden State. Okay. I do the intro, so I do the, uh, you know, yeah. I feel like those are the, them's the breaks. Say it then, uh, go ahead. We're probably also going to be talking about Shins and Manic Pixie Dream Girls. Yeah, we're talking about the, we'll definitely be talking about the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about Zach Braff. We'll be talking about Natalie Portman. How old is Zach Braff in this? Well, how old is he supposed to be, a teenager? <sighs> He's supposed to be like, I don't know, late 20s, like maybe 25, 26, I think. I, I, I can almost guarantee he is supposed to be playing early 20s. I mean, it's post, it's post college. I just remember that Bilbo Baggins is in this. He, he is? Yeah. Ian is he Holmes the dad? He's the dad. Father. That's right. That's right. That's right. And Jim Parsons is in it. America's favorite person. I, tell you, I know exactly what. I don't even need to look it up to tell you what year this came out because it was 2004. Because mm -hmm. I was in Rock Island, Illinois. It was the first summer after college uh, when I was going to move away from Nashville. And I hadn't yet because I had a gig at a dinner theater. The, the gig will keep you. Circa 21 Dinner Theater in uh, Rock Island, Illinois, doing the show uh, Honky Tonk Angels. Um, mm -hmm. which that was, sounds like uh, something I'd want to see. It was um, very bad. Um <laughs> But uh, I was, this was the first movie that I ever saw by myself because um, we were at this gig and you just like stay, the, the whole band and cast like stayed in this one big house. It was like uh, just a dirty, disgusting house that everybody had like their room in. It was like a boarding house for actors and musicians. And, and so I liked to leave there as much as yeah, possible. Wise. Um, because even if you just wanted to watch TV, you know, there's always somebody watching TV. This was 2004. So we weren't quite like everybody has an iPad and, you know, could just watch whatever you want all the time. So it was good to get out of the house. I often went to coffee shops and wherever Street I corners, could go. Smoking cigarettes. Anywhere. Hanging under lampposts, yeah. just right in that beam of light, just leaning up, wearing I did, a leather jacket. I did a, a move that is very classic DJ in many ways, which is that I was walking down the street and was on my way to the gym mm -hmm. just for something to do uh, and walked by a movie theater and went in there instead. <laughs> and it was a, like a more of an art house movie theater where they were, they would serve you food 
while you're eating. Uh-huh. You could get beer and stuff. And so I was like, I don't know really what this... I vaguely heard of this movie. This sounds fine. It was starting in like 10 minutes. I was like, fucking perfect. I will have the probably bad pizza and I will sit down and I watch this movie. And I remember loving this movie a lot. And so I'm a little bit frightened about what we're about to do at the risk of retelling your story. So you had decided to go specifically work out. Yes. You passed by a random movie theater playing a movie you had sort of heard of. Yes. And decided to just go in there instead, wait 10 minutes for it to start. Yes. And then watch the whole movie and then go home. Um, I think I actually did go to the gym after the movie. So Bravo. fuck you, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember seeing this movie almost by edict of the king. I feel like this movie became a thing for people around our age. We would have been yeah. like in our mid-20s when this came out or maybe early to mid-20s. And I feel like everyone was talking about this movie. And I was like, oh, I guess it must be really good. Yeah. I was an idiot. And uh, I believe it ends at literally, unironically maybe, with a person running to the airport to stop someone from leaving town. Yeah. And I was like, are you fucking serious movie? I got to be honest. It got me at the time. I'm not saying, listen, the name of this podcast. Who hasn't been in that situation where the person you just fell in love with that weekend is suddenly completely upending her life and moving away and you have to. To go into an airport to stop her from leaving. And even though she's probably gone through the processes of making this decision already, your mere appearance in a place as stressful as an airport makes her change her mind. Well, and the idea that you would then, like, I could see that if someone came, you know, running to the airport, you would, uh, you would maybe agree to like, okay, let's talk. Let's talk some more. Let's get, let's see, let's give this another try, but you wouldn't cancel your flight. You'd be like, I'll see you. I'm going to go for at least a week because I paid for this fucking plane ticket. And they're crazy expensive. And we're in a post nine 11 world. I had to go. What are you even doing here? How are you not arrested? How did you make it to the gate? Yeah. You're going to be arrested. So you didn't like this on first viewing. I, I don't think I hated it, but I remember being like, I don't get it. I can, the only thing I can remember is that it ended at an airport and I was like, you're not even doing it sarcastically. You, you are doing this literally. Yeah. Earnestly. They earnestly have it. Yeah. I are two years before Liz Lemon ended the, the run to the airport moment in 30 rock by cramming a sandwich down her mouth uh, (laughs) while running, running through airport security. Uh, I was completely taken in by this movie. So I'm I'm prepared to really harshly judge myself because I think of I can kind of vaguely remember some of the moments and I'm cringing even just sort of like going back and thinking about it. I think some of that is affected by I do think this was uh it wasn't like it was the first of anything, but it was the first of a wave of these kind of uh indie movies with the the like indie darling uh movie star like like Natalie Portman that had the uh Manic Pixie Dream Girl kind of thing. This wasn't the the origin of Manic Pixie Dream Girl, right? Well, I think uh that phrase comes from Nathan Rabin's uh review of Elizabeth Town, a very right. similar steaming movie. Uh, right. Although that movie has Loudon Wainwright in it. I assume in the Ian Holm role. Um but uh, this one also like made Zach Braff a thing for a minute, and then yeah. I think we quickly realized we don't want anything to do with him. 
Well, uh, I mean, Scrubs was a well. Scrubs was a thing, of course, that ran yeah. until 2010. Um, yeah, we. Yeah, I think like you may be uh, blacking out on some of the Zach Braff. Well, yeah, I never, thing. I never watched Scrubs, and I yeah. never was charmed by it. Um, and then he had another movie like that followed this one. Well, actually, not followed, but it came out like much later that everyone was like, fuck you, Zach Braff. Like the entire tide had turned and the society as a whole just responded with like a resounding, go fuck yourself. Um, With your head up, your ass drama. I'm interested to see and how some of those elements that I found actually really kind of emotional at the time, like uh, his relationship with his father and some of the music. Like I remember listening to the soundtrack a lot. I'm interested to see how some of that stuff holds up too, because sometimes you things just hit you at the right moment, and then you look at them later, and you're like, "Hey, that's stupid." <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think we're going to watch. My prediction is that we are going to watch this and realize that it was because we're just two white guys from yeah. middle class backgrounds that it was just like, "Are you a white guy from a middle class background?" Yeah, you've yeah. seen some stuff. You've seen I'm some Zach shit, Braff. man. You can trust me. Uh, it's kind of like in the 50s when like teenage culture started coming around and like pop music was just like, you know all those crazy things you're feeling? They're legitimate. And we wrote a bunch of songs about them. And teenagers yeah. just like went crazy. And all the older generation was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> I feel like that on a very smaller scale is Garden State. You know how like all you want to do is surf? <laughs> you know how the guy didn't look at you and so you just want to kill yourself that's a legitimate feeling here's a song it's very catchy you know how like you you have like the boys and then sometimes they're back in town like they're away <laughs> but then they come back in town this uh, this did lead to a lot of musical discoveries because i had not heard of the shins and i liked the song that's in this movie and i like the shins uh they're not like no one's mad at you, DJ. It introduced, reintroduced me to Colin Hay, uh, who has a, a song in this movie. Uh, I just don't think I'll ever get over you. You may know him more famously from his earlier work. We come from the land down under. Um, I with, do, I do know Colin. Hay. I'm more familiar with his later work as Colin Hanks. I think. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's Chet Hayes that you're thinking of. <laughs> Once again, if you were following us, we want to lose you. We're, you're tailing us on this joke, and we're trying to swerve, go I'll down do alleys. You turn. We don't want you there. Um, I'll hit so, that thing on the side of the train tracks that switches the <laughs> the tracks somehow, <laughs> so, but is readily available to everyone to just hit. Just seems dangerous when you, you can think just about move it. this switch. You and um, Sam can just hit it with a shovel and <laughs> sense the train in another direction. When is Looney Tunes lied to us? <laughs> um obviously we're out of things to say about garden state uh before we rewatch it i think uh watch garden state along with us and we'll be right back oh god an electric guitar i don't know okay you have to do the commercial because i can't Hey guys, uh, while the baristas are going around uh, getting your order, I just wanted to uh, take a few minutes and let you know that last song we played is uh, it's from a guy who lives in Minnesota uh, named 
Robert Dillon. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but that was a Robert, cover. That wasn't something we wrote. Robert Zim- Zimmerman. <laughs> Robert is Dylan Zimmerman. Um, <laughs> He's from Hibbing. Oh, thank that. That's uh, DJ DJ on 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 uh, Strats, <laughs> as we call him. That's an industry term. Uh, so it's a little known guitar. You probably haven't heard of it. I just wanna just wanna take a little break, a little downtime here, uh, while uh, while uh, Zeke is getting his brushes out for the next number. Uh, if you want to support us, of course, I've got my uh, my pork pie hat out on the stage, but you can also hop on and get to youreinatrousersanidiot.com uh, and support us on Patreon. Patreon. Some people call it patron in France. So where patron? I took I took my uh, my junior year semester summer semester was in France. So my junior year summer semester quarter. <laughs> they measure time differently in France. You probably don't know. Uh, so we're uh, we're gonna hop on. We're gonna do another song from another Minnesotan, Prince. So, but it's gonna be an a slowed down version of Raspberry Beret. <laughs> really slow. <laughs> I was going to do okay. You don't have to be beautiful. To be, well, I can't even do it. <laughs> it makes you sick. Six to your stomach. Makes you sick. Can't do it. Anyway, uh, tip your waitress, of course. <laughs> I'll have a half-calf mocha latte if anybody's listening over there. Oh, you're not? Okay, cool. We'll just keep going. Oh, how much? Uh, we only have five more minutes? Okay. 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 That should cover half of a song, thanks. <laughs> so I'll just tell the story of the next song and then we'll stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we are back. We watched... Zach Braff's 2004's was Garden State. Who New could Jersey's say who had Garden more of State. a hand in it? Zach Braff or just the <laughs> entity of 2004? Do you want to recap this? I think oh. this is a perfect Damon recap. I feel like they're all perfect Damon recaps and I'm being tricked. <laughs> You've fallen into my trap. Uh, first off, thank you for the opportunity again. Um, this is a story about Andrew Largeman. You might remember him in high school. His nickname was Large. Oh, that's a good one. I never, I never like put that together. Like why they called him Large? It's not just because of his uh, massive frame. Mm-hmm. It was also because his his last name contains the word Large. Right. Uh, I just figured, you know, it was it's because he was like skinny. It was like a, you know, they call big guys tiny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he comes back home from a uh, big old city of Los Angeles. California, of course, where um, he's a small-time actor, and uh, because his mom died, she drowned in a bathtub. He was an actor because his mom died. <laughs> <laughs> Me, uh, yeah, you know what? Fine. Um, his mom died. Uh, he's coming home. He meets up with old friends. Um, meets a girl named. Uh, Sam. Sam. Uh, she's an epileptic. She's a pathological liar. She used to be a figure skater. And what else? She accidentally killed a hamster by keeping its wheel in its cage. Mm-hmm. All interesting ticks negligent, of hers. Negligent pet owner. And, uh, you know, after a while, 
and some uh, ecstasy trips, he comes to realize that, hey, maybe he's been on a journey all along. Maybe I shouldn't take so much lithium. (laughs) That my dad prescribes to me. But you know what? We're going to be okay. Yeah, we're going to be okay. (laughs) Uh... And uh, his friend Peter uh, robs his mom's grave and gives him the necklace. And rather than being horribly mortified, he's uh, appreciative of it. He's pretty cool about it. Pretty cool. He's a going large man. So that's Garden State, I guess. Yeah. They're in love, I guess. Peter and Largeman. Well, yeah. That's, you know, a different kind of love. (laughs) Love between a man and a fine cigar. Platonic love can exist between two friends, Damon. <laughs> Look, just because I don't want to talk about my emotions doesn't mean I don't care about you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, let's get into it. So, um, he, I'll tell you this. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the character of Andrew Largeman. Are we? Talk okay. About Zach Braff. But I'll tell you one thing from the very get go that they set out. They're like, we want to make sure people know this guy makes a good bed. <laughs> he's got clean lines. He's got tight military tight. Like I don't even know how you get tucked into a bed like that. Like he, the the way that he's in the bed. I can t- actually tell you how you get into a bed like that because that's how okay. I would get into bed when I was a kid because I liked being snug. Yeah. And after a while, He's your like parents aren't going to tuck you in anymore. Right. So what I would do is I would crawl uh, up to the top of my bed and sort of perch myself on top of my pillows like a bird and then wiggle my toes under the sheets and just sort of slide in. Shimmy. Just sort of do a shimmy. Allow wow. the, the softness of the sheets to sort of glide your body in and then you're just enveloped in your sheets. That's, that's impressive. stay perfectly still. Which I'm not good at because my subconscious is not as interested in, in staying perfectly still and not as interested in hospital corners of my sheets. And so uh, eventually I'd wake up in just like a knot. But uh, otherwise, that's how you do it. That's well, how you do it. And that's how Zach Braff does it. Well, what you need to do to get yourself to stay still is lots of pharmaceutical elements in your life. Put you right to sleep. You do not move. That is true. That is a great trick, and it's best to get uh, Bilbo Baggins to prescribe those to you. Yes. I mean, or that's... Ash from, from Alien. Either one will do. <laughs> but with Ash, you're going to have to get recommended by your primary care physician. Right. You can't just go straight to him. No, you got you it. You yeah. got to get a referral. Got to get the referral. He's. I mean, that he's got too many medicines. That's immediately set up. We we see him. He's in a pla- he's in a plane crash. That's the first thing we see, and it's. Which uh, I'm presuming is a dream. Yes, it's okay. a dream. And the you think it would if it was real, he would bring it up more often right. than he does in the movie. Yeah. But he's like even in the dream, he's uh, you know the the metaphor here. I don't know. Let me explain it to you, uh, to, you to, to you, Damon. Um, Go ahead. I'm going to put my feet up, Damon. Let, let, let me break this down for you. The layers. He is perfectly calm, and right. everyone's going crazy because you know the plane is crashing. Would you like, say the pl- they're emoting while he is not emoting? I would say that. Um, <laughs> I didn't, but I would have. <laughs> but uh, it's it's what always happens in these situations. The pilot gets on the the intercom and says, "We're crashing," <laughs> which is I'm sure, I I haven't been in any uh, plane crashes lately, but 
I assume that's what they say. The trick is to keep everyone calm, and the best way to keep calm is to let everyone know what's going on. Yeah. I like information. I'm a high-information passenger. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, I will say the first, the very so you've first... you've gotten to the first two scenes. Yeah. I am immediately, as soon as the music kicks in, which is like right after, like when he starts kind of going about his day, I'm immediately like, oh, right, this movie. Like, even, even though I wasn't... Start, like, the music does a lot of heavy lifting immediately. And I oh, feel yeah, like, the minute the, that Coldplay song starts, which is sort of yeah. like the montage song of his time in Los Angeles, which is pretty brief in the movie, but I was like, ah, yes, I know the exact month this movie came out. Thank right. you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I believe that's the first track off of that uh, Yellow album, the one that had Yellow on it, which isn't even a new song when that came out, because Yellow came out when I was... a. uh it's no, still in high school. No, this this whole this whole soundtrack is like really curated from you know tw- the twenty thirty previous years. Like it's like you got Nick Drake. Yeah. Well, we'll talk we'll talk more about the the soundtrack later. But I want to get to. I have much more to say because he he flies back and then just starts sort of encountering people from his past. And I guess like he has he left. We kind of find this out later that he was like sent away to to school and he just never came back. He never came. He was sent away to boarding school. I think during his junior year of high school, because I think his family and school, uh, were afraid that he had violent outbursts based on what happened with his mother, which is that as a kid, he had like, he pushed her. She tripped over an open dishwasher door and she was then paralyzed from the neck down. Hence why just now she drowned in the bathtub because she slipped down under the water and wasn't able to lift herself back up. She's a she's a paraplegic, right? A, and so she does have use of her arms. So there's it's 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 not really clear whether it was intentional or not because she was also like severely depressed, right? Which does, could also be very much a. I, it seemed like she had that issue before because that's why he pushed her because they like he couldn't make her happy. That was what he said. Uh, but then also it could have definitely be made worse by a, a traumatic brain brain injury, which would have. Or if she, I don't know if she like hit, just hit her neck or hit her head. I can't remember that, but like. So yeah, he's sent away and uh, he must have left quite an impression on everyone because everyone's just excited to see him. Well. Nine years after the fact. He's in movies. Even though they don't really know what he's been in, most people don't actually recognize him. They know that he's in movies. I th- as someone like from a, well, I, I guess it's not really that small of a town being I don't know what how big this town is supposed to be, but it seems like a very small town in New Jersey. Right. It does seem. It, yeah. It Even seems... though you can see New York City from where they are, it's like <laughs> not really. Right. But I mean, everyone in it, it seems very small town just based on the people who are living there. If uh, someone you went to high school with was in any kind of movie that you had seen or a commercial or anything, you'd be like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> I, um, I just found out recently a guy I went to college with is a thirst trap. So th- things... Things can turn around. What? I mean, what does that mean? Uh, he just posts scantily clad pictures of himself on Instagram. Oh, okay. And then one of the one of my Am friends. Am I a thirst trap? I don't know if you've ever. No. <laughs> now that you're posing for me, I no. That's did not, you? That's do not you what have? It is. You don't have tickets. Is that what you're saying? Oh, to the gun show? No, yeah. I didn't. Um, the I actually had a sun's I down, guns a, down. Sorry, I forgot. 
I had I had a, another thing scheduled for the gun show, so I couldn't come okay. to the gun show. I had, a, yeah. I had another appointment, so that's just yeah. need a rain check. Um, no, some guy shared a picture on uh, on Instagram of a thirst trap in his stories, and I was like, wait, I know that guy. So is this like okay? I, so I, I guess if that guy got really depressed and came back home, <laughs> we'd all be like, hey, I remember you. You the the two exist. The white the white trunks. I remember you. That is what I thought a thirst trap was, but is it a profession or he just is one? He just is one. Okay. It doesn't look like Zach Braff's doing that well, but like, I feel You're like right. with, with small town people, I, my dad does this all the time where, um, if you find out someone's like had a song or been in one thing, you're yeah. like, <laughs> this is something my dad says all the time. Drives me insane, but I also secretly love it. He says, well, you know, you can make fun of them all you want, but you know what they're doing? They're laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> all the way to the... Yep, there, there's also m- many people in my past and my family that who think that, like, if you get a song on iTunes, which, by the way, doesn't exist anymore, you're famous. And it's like, right. literally, you could do that tomorrow. Just send it in. Just submit it. You can just put an iPad. You can put a podcast. <laughs> you know that? You can put that, uh, that on uh, iTunes as well. I like that I said send it in. Like you like put it put it in, a, in, a, in an envelope, a Manila envelope. You have to do that and make sure you write clearly the address put, on it. Put iTunes care of Apple, <laughs> Calif- Cupertino, California. I don't know. I just tried like four different accents. I'm sorry. Um. So we're getting nowhere on this movie. I feel like I'm trying to coax things out of you. I'm. I feel like you're not having a lot. Sorry, of I just watched it a few minutes ago, and uh, it's really just uh, taking the wind out of my sails. Uh, let me start with some small things, and I'll I'll work myself up to bigger things. Okay. Okay. Uh, first off, I appreciate a movie that has the balls to have dog masturbation as a motif in the movie. Yes. You don't see that enough. Yes. And. I like that this movie has the guts to tackle the big issues where you have two separate dogs masturbating during the course of the film. Those that makes me very uncomfortable and it happens a lot. Just the Frenchie just weird was just animal shit. Uh the Frenchie that was just grazing its its genitals, that I thought was nice because it almost looked like he was playing guitar. Um <laughs> the dog the dog that was humping the leg, I was just like like Zach Braff was just doing a lot of contortions to try and get the attention of of the owner of the dog, who is blind. That's why she right. has a dog. But also, I'm like, I, there was part of me that was like, seeing eye dogs don't do this. They're they're like trained for for a reason because otherwise they'd kill that poor woman when they go off to just hump some rando's leg. You can't just have a masturbating dog as the seeing eye dog. So you're telling me there are there are no bad behaving seeing eye dogs i'm saying that when they're on duty they're on duty but the minute they're off duty they might be poorly behaved well she sat down she had to fill out her paperwork so he's like well i'm on break i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a few humps in get a little me time in excuse me (laughs) i'll be right back i see that guy from scrubs (laughs) i gotta get down i bet he knows donald Faison, (laughs) the real star of scrubs does i sort of get his like I don't know. I don't know about uh, the training involved to become a seeing eye dog. So I can't. I can't. I mean, comment I'm not on an that, expert for the record, but I can comment on an uncomfortable per, a person who's very uncomfortable around pets in general, and the his reaction of just like get it away from me is right. I understand that. 
because uh, I also just like, was like I don't, hey can you get your dog well it's like hey can you get your dog but then you're like yelling at a blind lady who's just trying to like mind her business over there and like I don't know I can understand initially at least being just like just kind of like gently trying to shove the dog away and blind like, ladies can be jerks too obviously this one's a jerk because I guarantee this isn't the first time this guy's gone off to hump and she knows what's going on <laughs> absolutely hearing's a tune she knows a dog hump when she hears it well, she's probably like, let him finish. Just let him go. There's a surprising number of people of note in this. You had Ann Dowd. You had Gene Smart. Yeah. Ian Holm, as we mentioned. Yep. Peter Sarsgaard. I don't know if he was really a thing yet. Jim Parsons as well I yeah. wasn't a thing. But Natalie Portman was nothing to shake stick at. This is post-Star oh, yeah. Wars. Who else is in this? Uh, Dennis O'Hare, but he was also not a thing yet either. The bellhop guy. Um, oh, Method Man. Method Man, yeah. Another, <laughs> it was very much, Method Man, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, I believe Method Man um, was our, hold on, I'm doing the math, third person of color? Wait, who are the other? Uh, the you other had Unnamed Girl at Hardware Store. Unnamed Girl at Hardware Store. Where Peter Sarsgaard tries to do the return. Oh, the, the cashier. I thought yeah. you meant like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying, it's a white movie. Yes. A lot of whites. It is. Yeah. Um, I also want to say, while we're on the subject of the hardware store worker, as a person who has worked retail forever, movies, TV show, if come here. Come here real close. <laughs> we don't care about returns. We don't care. I will take your return, and I will not ask any questions. I don't care. I know it's funny in Seinfeld where they're constantly, bar- you know, the barrage of questions about why are you returning this thing. We don't care. We're going to get paid the same no matter if you return it or not. As long as it's, like, not just full of fecal matter, we will take the box and ask you to leave, please, Peter Sarsgaard. <laughs> I just wanted to get that out. Oh, by the way, the restaurant manager at the beginning, the Vietnamese restaurant, that's our third person of color in this movie. And I believe that brings the grand total to three. I don't. I can't picture him. Uh, he's just in a scene. He's he's yelling at Zach Braff, yeah. saying if he doesn't get his shit together, uh, he'll Todd. be replaced with with a guy who has his eight by ten as part of his application to work at the Vietnamese restaurant. I, li- I liked that bit. That like this is like this is a place where struggling actors go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I the there's a lot of bits yes. in this movie. Yeah, some are good bits and some are other bits. I mean, I'll just fucking talk about it. I don't know what this movie is about. <laughs> I don't know if this movie is a romance. I don't know if this movie is about, like, you know, rediscovering your small town. I don't know if it's about reconnecting with your friends. I don't know if it's about reconciling with your father. I don't know if it's about the shallowness of Los Angeles versus small town America. I don't know if it's hate small town America, love small town America. I lost my patience with this movie at the boat scene. That's when I flipped out and I just uh, laid back onto my into my couch and just looked at the ceiling and just went, ah! you know, blow, blow the uh, speakers out there, bro. Uh, when Zach Braff turns around to Dennis O'Hare and says, have fun screaming or discovering the infinite abyss. And Dennis O'Hare says, Hey, you too. And Zach Braff responds as anyone as any Joe man on the street would, by looking to the sky, letting the rain fall on his face, and then just shaking his hair, I just wanted to murder everyone. I think, okay, I 
I don't think it's a it, it's not about any of those things. It's about it's about this How tough like, it is to be a white man. It's about this one guy's story. It's very largeman central centric. Like it is very much about Zach Braff slash Andrew Largeman. It is not and that that is we'll get into that too about like, you know, the agency of the other characters. But like it is not it is about all those things. It's about how how shallow he thinks LA is and his bad experience there and like his little taste of success with the, you know, the work that he has gotten and then his being sort of weighed down by these drugs, his, you know, his emotional things that he's dealt with, the death of his parent. It's about, you know, connecting with this, this new love. And it's about like how being like sort of out of time you feel at this point in your life, like the the mid twenties kind of thing. And like, I remember being very close to this age, like totally feeling all of that at that Oh, no, I mean, this came, I mean, especially if you were around our age, this is right, comes out right at the right time. I think this came out like the year I was out of college. Yeah, 2004. It's literally the year I got out of college. Yeah. So I can understand why a lot of my peers were just like over the moon with this movie because it's literally about a guy who... As just sort of like he's waiting for his life to start, right, right. But I think and all he's those not other... sure what what's what what he wants to do. He's not sh- sure about where he's headed. Yeah. So I understand why it connects with those type of people. I think it also is perfect for our generation because, um, it is. <laughs> I I re- I'm a little colored by um, I read a piece just trying to figure out what was going on with this movie. I read a piece by Eric Adams in the AV club. Uh, he was mostly talking about the soundtrack, but he was talking about how this movie like really speaks to our specific part of the millennial generation, which is like sort of right. straddled between Gen X and, you know, the younger millennials. Um, so there is like a little bit of the, uh, sort of like, I'm not a sellout man. I'm not going to do that man. And then a little bit of like the high minded ideals of, the later millennials, Gen Y, as we were formerly known. I appreciate millennials, though, by the way. Uh, you appreciate Gen, the Gen Y is, yeah, Gen yeah, yeah. Y is stupid. Um, it's almost as if you, like, like when you're in the middle of the generation, you can't really name things. They're like, you just want to be named after the other generation? No! <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Because we already came up with it. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I. I never found, like, I, I, I understand that it's largeman centric. One could even call him, and I just coined this, the main character of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know. I found everyone so repugnant <laughs> that I didn't want to be around any of them. Peter Sarsgaard, I was like, why are you still here? I feel like we kept bumping into a lot more interesting characters, but largeman is just like, you know what? I got to catch up with that grave robbing guy. He's the guy to be around. The one who whose mom is dating a medieval knight employee who I believe I got the impression that Peter Sarsgaard used to bully when he was right. a high schooler. So I'm like, oh, I'm already won over by Peter Sarsgaard. He seems great. And he robs graves, yes. including our hero's grave, uh, hero's mother's grave, not our hero's grave. Our hero survives. Andrew wow. Spoiler! Um, I haven't finished it yet. 
I feel like at the at the like that scene in uh, Adam's Family Values when Morticia Adams is reading The Cat in the Hat and she scrolls to the back and she goes, "Oh no, he lives." He lives. <laughs> Can we talk about just while we're on the subject? <laughs> Go on. About Morticia Adams, I'd love to. About how fucked up that he, it is that he robs graves. It's insane. Like, and it was I, just like it, it was treated so not lightly, but it's just sort of said with there's no dialogue about it. It's just like a like he's literally robbing a grave in front of It's very uh, casual. Andrew, yeah. And he just looks down and sees like all this jewelry, looks back up at Peter Sarsgaard, who's like, oh, I, who doesn't say anything, but his look to me says, oh, I didn't mean for you to see that. And I was like, well, then don't put the jewelry on this side of well, I the think, grave. Put it in I, your pocket. I thought the look, I always thought the look was like, Oh no, you know that I did this to your mom's grave. Right. That might yeah. also yeah, in retrospect, I think you're right. I think I don't think he cared about knowing that he did, did that, sold jewelry from dead people. But I like it's funny if you describe it. I, I'm not a, you know, as we've discussed on this show, like I'm not a religious person. I'm not like precious about, you know, that like that those people are dead. But at the same time, right. like I there's I have some sort of weird like reverence for like the respect of like, like I won't, I think it's just sort of disrespectful to like walk over a grave. So like digging them up and like, <laughs> or they're not quite, they're not, you don't need to dig them up. They're not buried yet for in this, in this case, but still they're like pulling things off of their corporeal form. Like that's so <laughs> fucked up. It, I mean, I, I am the same way you and I have similar religious beliefs, but it, yeah, it seems very fucked up and the very least disrespectful to the fucking, just leave it alone. Yeah. Um, as Homer Simpson once said, don't hassle the dead boy. They have eerie powers. <sighs> I'm also just reminded of the guy who invented silent Velcro. Oh yeah. And he has a giant mansion that's completely empty that he gets around on, on a golf cart. You sent me so you sent me a Lindy West article in uh, from Jezebel that she rewatched Garden State a few years ago. It was like what, yeah, like six or seven years ago or something. And uh, it's very funny. Highly recommend it. Always Just, treat to read some Lindy West. I love her writing. I think she's hilarious. But I also think that one of the things that she shits on of. of many things is that character. So there's this character that they went to school with that invented silent Velcro and he's massively rich has like, they get around in on uh, golf carts and he has a big empty mansion cause he can't be bothered to buy furniture, but he's just like bored. He's doing nothing, but we're not like, I don't think the movie is like, isn't this guy cool? Like this guy is like a sad, I don't, first of all, I don't, I'm not going to defend every bit of this movie, but like, he's not a like, he's not an enemy, but he's not someone you're supposed to be like, he's not, um, he's not something you're aspiring to. Yes. He's not an aspirational character either for the viewer or our main character. He's a sad, like version of success. Like there's the, the, the Sarsgaard character is the sad version of failure. And this guy is the sad version of success. And the, the point is like, aren't we all just kind of sad and yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> right. I don't <laughs> think she extent. was shitting. I don't think she was shit. I don't think she, th she took it as that he was an aspirational character either. I think she was just annoyed of like, 
everyone's just such a sad sack in this movie, including the rich guy who has an empty house, who's right. got so much money that he's bored out of his mind. And she's like, oh, fuck you. Just go invent something else, right. I think was her quote. Right. This movie asks a lot for me to feel bad for these characters whose, some, in some cases, lives seem pretty shitty. Right. But also seem pretty, like, fine. <laughs> I don't know. I... <laughs> I like feel bad for large men. Yeah. For his mother. But I mean, here's another thing. This this drove me insane because I mean the movie sort of holds back on what has happened with it. We don't know that he is involved with his mother's death or not right. his mother's death, but her, her her paralysis. And he reveals that in the empty cavernous mansion of of the silent Velcro inventor. He's like, you know, he reveals that, you know, he pushed her and she fell over this dishwasher door. and uh, But he also immediately reveals that he doesn't feel bad about it. He doesn't blame himself. And I'm like, okay. Right. So what's the deal, man? If you don't blame yourself, what's the fucking problem? And I yeah. think that's what I kept, like, it's it just, it's, I mean, I can't believe I forgot this term, but I, when one of the things I was looking for, looking through article wise was like, it used the word emo and I'm like, Oh yes, this is it. Cause at first I wanted to describe it as like a very uh, minor key Papa Roach song where it's just like, woe is me. I just don't feel nothing. Um, I think they're your but it, statistically most referenced band. I, I would agree. Absolutely. <laughs> Mostly cause their name is so ludicrous because now I imagine like a big roach and all these like tiny roaches to connote that he is he is a parent roach, but then I also need to connote that he is a father roach. So maybe he's like wearing uh, jean shorts and maybe you know white Reeboks or something. But then he could be a hipster roach you know, with the way people are dressing nowadays. Um, so it's just hard to. That's what I like about Papa Roach is there's just a lot of layers, you know. <laughs> but yeah, emo is. I mean, it's it's an overused word, but it's just like what you know, white suburban kids feeling sorry for themselves. I'm like, what is the problem? If there is a tangible problem, let's talk about it. But it doesn't seem like there's a problem. There's just sort of a woe is me aspect. And even the problem I thought was going to be the problem isn't the problem. And is the problem that your your father and you are estranged? Because the movie sure isn't interested in making what I imagine is a sizable paycheck to, to Ian Holm worth anything because he's only in three scenes of this movie. <laughs> And, know, like, and the last scene is just like they come to an understanding almost instantaneously. <laughs> I do feel like they you hit on like that he Largeman is like kind of over. He's like he's dealt with his was it my fault issues at some point. It seems like because that would be that seems like the what would be the torture there. But it, the the torture is actually because his dad kind of seems like he blames him for it or did at some point or like, but we don't find that out actually until that last reconciliation scene. Right. We don't find that like the dad sort of harbors an idea of you need to forgive yourself. And he's like, I have that, that, that it's already happened. He says to his father or whatever he says, Uh, I believe he actually says I've been on a journey. Um, these past couple of days. I don't know if, if that's the story. And I feel like, I think the reason I harp on that is because that one seems like the most interesting story. Yeah. Is that he, his father blames him for his mother's death, but he doesn't actually blame himself for his mother's death. And that, that dichotomy. And I think because I'm older, the whole 
a shadow of like the fact that he was avoiding his dad was standing out to me during the movie. I'm like, Hey, you told your dad you'd be home tonight so you can talk about this young man. You're going past out your curfew. With your, your burnout friends who all seem to suck. <laughs> I don't know. I think there is something to like, so this is, this is the definition of infantilizing, but like I, I actually totally understand that it's really cloying, the sort of emo vibe, but I also just trying to be a generally empathetic person. Like if I see a a baby crying, for example, like they are, or a little kid or whatever, because they, you know, somebody else wanted to play with their toy truck or whatever. Like mm-hmm. the problem is very small. It's very low stakes in the scale of the world. And it's also like they don't understand why that's not actually a problem because they can just play with it later or whatever. But also like to them, it's an enormous problem. So like the problems of 25-year-old DJ or or 25-year-old Zach Braff when he was writing this or, you know, the, our character Largeman, like it, the, the problems – You just call him Large. Large, sorry. Uh, large. The, the problems are however big the person thinks they are. You know what I mean? And especially when you're dealing with with this where he's like literally <laughs> on drugs that he shouldn't be on. Right. Like where his brain chemistry is being altered. And again, I'm I'm giving a lot of leeway to this movie that I shouldn't be, and we'll talk about why <laughs> as we go along. But like but it's like it can seem really dramatic if you're like if someone's like, Hey man, just you know, isn't the world just so sad and unfair to me living in this huge apartment in LA and like, Oh, hello, Tippy. <laughs> Tippy. She can't Thanks, hear me Tippy. through your Goodbye. headphones. She can't hear me through your headphones. For That's right. She can't, she can't hear a word you're saying. <laughs> She's just wandering around. Sorry. Go ahead. You were talking about empathy. <laughs> I don't remember where I was going. I know what road I was on, but I don't remember what my destination with that train of thought was. But I just think like I mean, I don't I don't fault the movie for like setting its stakes at that point. I think what what this movie reminded me a lot was um when I was in writing workshops as a in, yes. as a kid and yeah. like trying to create a character and yeah. because you have so little life experience, you just start to collect just like little facts Anic- about the character, anecdotes. but it never coalesces into a actual person. It's just sort of right. this little collection of weird things that are just sort of thrown onto a human shaped figure in your story. And I think, um, I think he makes like the, the big mistake he makes. And I think this was something I always wanted to do because again, I was a late bloomer. And so I didn't know where I was headed in life. So whenever just got I was pubes. writing, Huh? Just got your pubes. Just week. got my pubes. And um, I, I I would tend to write characters that didn't know what they wanted to do, which are right. definitely like people that exist, but right. it's a death knell for a story. It's not because, compelling. Yeah. Like the, f- the first rule of like screenwriting is like, well, what do these characters want? And if your cancer is constantly, well, this character doesn't know what he wants. It just gets more and more frustrating as it goes on because I don't know as an audience member what I am supposed to want for them because right. they do not want know what they want. So it's hard to root for them. Well, and I think what the what this movie is trying to capture, and I I think somewhat successfully is a very nebulous like malaise concept. Like, and it can be like, boy, that's boring. But that's like that's 
that's either true or it isn't true for you, but like, that's a very hard thing to wrap your hands around. You know what I mean? Like the concept of being sort of numb and bored and directionless. And it's like, okay. Like if you, if he just pitched this movie and hadn't been on a successful sitcom, people would be like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Oh, I, I, I do want to point out one of the things, um, this movie calls attention to, which I don't think there is enough awareness of, um, which is um, when people put headphones on you to listen to a song that they love, that's going to quote unquote change your life. Um, where do you look? That's what I always have trouble with when people are singing at me or playing songs I'm supposed to be listening to because they love them. Straight uh, into Do your I eyes. look at them? Yes. Oh, so uncomfortable. No. Anti. Uh Hey, I just want you to hear this song. Dear God, no. You can't, you at home can't see this, but I'm, I'm looking straight into Damon's eyes. But while is it awkward for you? Cause you know, you, you want to look at the, you want to look at the screen, but you I have know. to look at the camera. But I have to look at the camera. <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard just looks, he just has the energy of someone who could fucking flip out at any moment. Oh yeah. Like his character, actually, if you like read it on paper, other than being, he's a sleaze clearly, but he's also like. He seems like a burnout, like just yeah. like a chill dude. But like the actor, just like he has this really like pent up energy, which is just like just the vibe he has always. I've well, always I think we'll that. all remember him in in the Green Lantern movie when he plays the villainous. Is he Sinestro? Yeah, I think we all know the name of the Green Lantern villain, which is I've never Sinestro. I've never go ahead and add that in post. That. By the way. <laughs> I've never seen the Green Lantern movie. Oh, he's great in it. I found his performance compelling. Hector Hammond. Hector Hammond. Ooh, oh. double H. Oh. Okay. All right. Is he Sinestro? No. Sinestro is uh, Mark Strong, played by Mark Strong. Oh, is he one of the Green's Lantern? The other Green's Lantern? The red one? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, he does uh, take, uh, an awkward moment where they're kissing. Yeah. He I takes it like a chance. So weird. There, there's the, they finally, they finally kiss after they, and the sun breaks the through the clouds and, and, and he just sort of like kind of slowly looks the other direction. <laughs> it's so it's actually a common trope, I feel like, in romantic comedies that, like, someone is looking when the two main characters finally connect. And, like, they're either, like, they either just, like, are immediately cut out of frame, which is, like, that's the move. Because, like, it, the, you know, and it doesn't matter to our characters. They're the only people in the world, you know. But it's, like, I don't want to deal with that awkwardness because, like, in real life it'd be terribly awkward. Or the worst choice, which is that... They just like look on approvingly or like, or like, they're like, yeah, get it. I'm like, when have you ever watched someone kiss and been like silently yeah. nodding to themselves? It's like that Backstreet Boys. Am I sexual? Yeah. <laughs> what a weird thing to say, Nick Carter. I always think of that when I think of this movie, the, that scene where they just start making out and then he's just like, I'm just gonna, oh, look. Oh, what's this? An infinite abyss? Is that a dump truck over there? Ah, funny. It's weird. The dentist lived in a boat. A okay, boat, can we huh? can we talk about? I feel like the elephant in the room is the character of Sam. 
Uh, yeah. We, we touched on a little bit in the beginning, which is that she's one of the one one of the very most identified manic pixie dream girls which and there's you know there's problems with that phrase and there's like the phrase is in a, in and of itself a reduction of a reduction so like whatever where like um i'm not saying that it is or it isn't but she's right. often labeled as such and i think it the the example the reason why is her agency or lack thereof well she i mean the I mean, it has the, the manic pixie dream girl term has sort of been used for sexist reasons. It's sort of a way to dismiss like female characters in general. Right. And even Nathan Rabin, who originated the term, sort of regrets it at this point. But I mean, I feel like there is a very specific definition to it, which is it's a uh, woman who comes to sort of cheer up this sad sack, cre- usually a creative type, because usually you can assume that. It's a stand-in for the author of right. of the script, um, and uh, she's very unique. She loves life, um, but she's solely there to sort of make the life of the creative man at the center of the story more meaningful, right? Um, and to take him out of his funk. And as Lindy West pointed out in her article, uh, she referred to Natalie Portman. I want to get the quote right. She is an agency-free boner golem. <laughs> she's just there to make him feel uh sexually satisfied and make him feel important everybody go read everything lindy west has ever written, she's by great. the way she's fantastic <laughs> uh just the uh the sheer energy in her writing is uh sizzling um <laughs> um this uh so i was i was okay with sam even though the first thing we meet her she uses the r word a lot over and over and over again. Uh, so I guess, uh, what's his name? Large, large and in charge. Uh, he, um, I guess one of his roles was playing it's so that was one strike against her. And I was being won over her by again, because I mean, Natalie Portman brings a a good energy to her, but then she does the original thing. Whenever I'm feeling unoriginal, I just do something like, and then she, she feels original again. And I'm like, oh, it's the cringiest moment. Stop it. And I feel like her character just does that over and over and over again, where I'm like, oh, she's all right. And then um, something happens. and I'm like, oh, my God. Much like all the other characters in this, she is mostly a collection of facts about her, but nothing that actually coalesces into someone I would recognize as a human being. Well, she is epilepsy. Um, She is a compulsive liar. Um she uh, has a helmet that she keeps on her person because of her epilepsy, and mm-hmm. her job at a law office uh, required her to wear the helmet. Yeah. Um, rather than so that she could keep her insurance, which I feel like even the law office would re- re- realize, especially a law office would re- recognize that she has a good lawsuit on her hands in that regard. <laughs> um, Maybe it's not a good law office. That's possible. <laughs> um, what else we got? Many pets. She has many pets. She has many hamsters. Um, she buries them all in the backyard and gives them very earnest eulogies yes. and does not appreciate sarcastic eulogies. Um, she used to ice skate dressed as an alligator. She yes. used to be very good, but she quit possibly because of her epilepsy. She has a uh, a brother that w- she used to be. He used to be like a Sally Struthers. Yeah, you, uh, I guess he, he, he used to be 
well, I mean, he's still African, um, but he used to live in Africa in, you know, starving. That's the, uh, that's and, the third uh, person of color in the movie or the fourth. Oh, there we go. See, things are looking up. You know, she's just so interesting. Well, I mean, she could have, she, like, if we had explored her, her hopes and dreams, I think I, I, <laughs> I, I would, I, the, the, the problem is not that, well, it is that she's a collection of quirks, but it's also that we don't sort of go into her, her, her wants and desires or like what she's trying to do. She, it's just how it relates to, to large and like what he wants. Right. Like she's, she's there, there to collect his tears in a daisy cup. Yeah. Dixie cup, not a daisy cup. That's daisy cup isn't a thing. Dixie. I just thought you were saying Dixie cup. <laughs> Tried to explain this to Tyler and he disagreed with me, but uh, I feel like she uh, dresses like a child, which makes her sort yeah. of flipperty jippet attitude make her seem also like a child. Yes. So I actually found their relationship a little bit uncomfortable because, right. Um, I mean, Natalie Portman was like in her, I think her senior year in college when, when she did this, but like her outfits are very like bright colors, uh, short, uh, you know, button up shirts. Uh, but then Tyler reminded me that that might also be the style of the early two thousands was like yeah. long boot cut jeans with Converse on and, and short little baby girl, you know, t-shirts in bright, yeah. you know, giant colors and i'm like and then i remembered a few girls from my college and i'm like oh yeah. Yeah, yeah so that might actually just be how people dressed when i think that also like something that plays into why maybe someone would overlook some of those sort of more cloying qualities is that she's very cute uh yes Natalie Port- very pretty lady that is the trick of the manic pixie dream <laughs> <laughs> well and it's like i it's like very obvious but at the same time as 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 a gayman who doesn't feel that sort of same way about Natalie Portman, it's pronounced Damon. Oh, gay, sorry, sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, <laughs> I just call you Gaiman. <laughs> it is it's amazing how like not that I'm like at, like salivating over Natalie Portman in a gross way or anything, but it's like she's a cute she's a cute lady, and so like you're you immediately like uh, duh, forgive a lot of things because you're just like she's pretty. She is, uh, she is cute. Um, but the, yeah, well, she also reminds me of people that would make me, she's one of those people that just like is immediately into best friend mode, right. which if I were a puffer fish is when I would like explode and then just <laughs> float away. Um, I met a few of those people. Uh, I've met a few of those people in my life and that was like always... me when I, my, I met you and I immediately gave you a piggyback ride. I just like threw you <laughs> up on my shoulders. Come on. Let's go. There's a father son race we can join. Um, it's just like, I'm always like, Oh, get away from me. It's always, uh, it's how nature tells me something is wrong. Um, (laughs) this tastes bitter, right? I should not eat any more of these berries and I should not be friends with Natalie Portman. So yeah, I found her very off putting because she's so earnest and she's immediately like, let's be best friends. I'm like, absolutely not. Anyone who wants to be my best friend immediately is deranged. <laughs> the first scene is actually pretty aggressive. Yeah. Like in the ways that, cause I remember being, they meet in the dog humping scene in the doctor's yeah, office. Right. I remember being charmed by her in this scene. I was, I mean, she's still charming, but it's still, it's a lot more like abrasive than I remembered. And part of it is, you know, saying the R word over and over again, like immediately. And then, 
kind of letting, like saying about the dog, like kick him in the balls. Yeah. It's also kind of a Jersey vibe. Like that's the most Jersey she is in this whole, not, you know, to stereotype the Jersey thing. Like she's very Jersey in that scene. I feel like. Right. Do they ever actually say Jersey in this? No, I don't think so. Maybe that's why they're homesick for a place that doesn't exist. They're not actually. Because they forgot what state they live in. Yeah. (laughs) One last thing. I think the visuals in this movie are hit or miss, but I I think it had this element of like, was this directed by a music video director? But it was actually directed by the guy from Scrubs. You have the like the shirt scene, which is like the first like really. I mean, of course, you have his apartment with the all white, you know, interior. And then you have his shirt that is made from the fabric that I guess was put on the the walls of the bathroom. So it looks like just his head is floating in space. Um, You have the crashing plane at the beginning. You have all these like stupid, like little visual elements you have you know watching her ice skating performance while she's dressed as an alligator while it's covered in dusted prints that her brother was uh dusting the place for to see who keeps pissing on his xbox you know have you have sheldon dressed as a knight less surreal imagery but all these like weird visual elements it just reminded me of like music videos and i was like yeah i mean this is a striking visual but i don't know what this has to do with the rest of this fucking thing and sometimes we get lost in these sort of flights of fancy, which can be charming. But when I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck the movie is about, you know, an hour and 20 minutes in, uh, it starts to get a little frustrating where I'm like, all right, what are we talking about? Yeah, it can get a, a little bit like heady because I think that it's just trying to it's like a tone poem. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. trying to, like, give you a mood. And I think that's goes hand in hand with the music, too. Like, it's like the sort of weird shots and the, the like surreal imagery of, you know, just the night. And then you combine that later with just like a, yeah, sweeping scene with, you know, Nick Drake playing behind it. Right. It's just like, there's those, those elements are doing a lot of the work that the sort of character building isn't doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, tone poem, an, an attempted tone poem would be a good comparison, except I still don't know what that tone is supposed to be. Um, That's, is, is that, that the tone? That's the one. The dial tone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about the music. Yeah, that's that's the last thing I want to talk about is the music, because it's just, I, I've said this a couple times now, but I, I think that the music is doing a lot of the work. And I think Zach Braff knows that as well, because he apparently when he was sending the the script around, he had like a playlist that you had to listen to it, which is very annoying, I'm sure, for people that had to read it. But I, it's it's uh, there is some real skill to that, like to to putting me. It's not just like picking out. It's what mood are you setting and how does it fit with the visuals and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's the absolute best thing about this movie is his choices and how they work with the mood he's trying to set. That doesn't mean like they're the best songs ever or that like, you know, you, you may or may not like it, but I think for what he's going for, and maybe this is because it sort of connected with me when I first saw it is like, um, and I'm generally a person where like, I just don't like slow, sad songs. Like it's just like they generally, but, but I'm not living in a movie, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so this, this sort of matching it up and like, it also introduced me to a lot of artists that I didn't know about too, like Colin Hay. And um, of course I knew I come from my land down under, but you know, he did music after that turns out. But I just think it's, it's uh, if there's one thing you can give Zach Braff credit for, it's like building 
around those songs. I think it's, it was done in a pretty cool way without being a musical, you know? No, I mean, it is, um, it is a very music, uh, centric movie. And I mean, it, it reminded me of a lot of songs I remembered from, you know, around my college years, uh, including a cover of a postal service song, which I think it was covered, you know, like a year after the postal service song came out. So it's already nostalgic, like 11 months after the fact, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, if you're going to have a protagonist who doesn't know what he wants, you better have a lot of soundtracks to let me know what the fuck he's feeling as well. Yeah. Um, oh, that's another thing. So he not only doesn't know what he wants, but he doesn't feel anything. Right. Oh my he's God. numb. Yeah. <sighs> also, that the frou-frou song that's at the end of the movie is like one of my favorite songs ever. Tyler Tyler had a lot of memories associated with uh, the Fru Fru song and I did I wasn't familiar with Fru Fru and then when he told me that the lead singer was Imogen Heap yeah. I was blinded by rage. Why? I hate Imogen Heap. Why do you hate Imogen Heap? Well, I never really liked I, it's not my style of song anyway, but yeah. I also as I mentioned earlier, I would have been working retail around the time okay. that her career yeah, peaked fair enough, and fair enough. man oh, what you I, say? <laughs> That's like, did which, someone rouse her out of a deep sleep to record this album? And there were a lot of my coworkers who loved her yeah, and just kept saying, oh, you know what? You're not hearing the right songs. Here, listen to this song. And then guess what I have to do? Look at them while I listen to a song. <laughs> It'll change your life. Shoot me in the face. I will say, I, like, I also think that song is amazing, but also like not the 921st song time <laughs> I've heard it, you know, but also, I remember and that's I'd even s- before Big Sean sampled it, <laughs> right? To bring it right back into my life. I distinctly remember once you saying, while being super into uh, the Magnetic Fields, who did a whole album filtered through distortion, saying, "Why don't you just play a normal song? Why don't you just <laughs> write a normal song, Image and Heap?" Now I'm just going to go listen to this distorted drum set. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to. Uh, a distorted baritone uh, sing over a distorted drum. I'm going to listen to the modern version of Crash Test Dummies while I tell you your <laughs> Now, come on. Modern? True. True. Um, I also like the magnetic fields. I'm just, I'm just saying. Indie bands Not are weird. Speaking of sad sacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like my music sad. I like my movies fun. <laughs> All right. You want to go to the verdict? Oh, yeah. Let's get out of here. Hey, DJ. Yes. Two questions. Yeah. Want to see me tap dance? Yes. And what do you think of this movie? Uh, first of all, absolutely. And could you please do it while I explain it? Okay, thank you. Good. Okay, now you can stop. I kept uh, thinking things she was going to fall into the fire. Go on. You look like uh, Woody from Toy Story. That was very good. <laughs> uh, so there are some uh, major issues with this movie. And I was worried about this because I, I, as I said at the beginning, I loved this movie. Like it came at a time when I was like feeling that sort of same ennui, not knowing, like feeling that directionlessness, being a, like a white male of a certain age from a middle-class <laughs> upbringing. Like it's like aimed right at my face, like at, right at the time. Um, having said that, uh, like I was worried about, rewatching it with the, you know, 
not being that right age anymore and sort of being, being rolling my eyes at my 20 year old self, you know? Uh, and there is a lot of that. I mean, especially with, I mean, the, the, the worst thing is the sort of how flat of a character Samantha is, even though she's supposed to be like this magical, you know, thing, but she's flat because they're, you know, like you've mentioned before, all she's doing is serving the main character. Like we don't, who's also flat. We don't find out if she likes it at the law officer, why she has that job. Is she going into law? What is she interested in? We don't know any of that stuff. All we know is like filtered through our, our main character. And Or why can't she go with him? Why does he have to stay in New Jersey? Why can't she go with him to LA? Right. Like what's keeping her there? Right. We don't we don't find out any of that stuff. And there is a lot of like cringy not stuff, not just with that, but with with just expressing the sort of malaise vibe why are you so sad but i do think on the flip side like we are given lots of reasons why our main character is sad he's he's drugged his mom just died he why our character is not i mean he's he doesn't feel anything right he's not necessarily sad well he's yeah he eventually is numb and then eventually Mm -hmm. yeah sad and he's lost his mom. He does. He doesn't, he hasn't been home in nine years and all these kind of stuff. And like, I think the music is amazing. I actually really am pretty charmed by most of the directorial choices. Like I thought they were pretty, pretty striking. It is very much like a, like he had shots in mind. I feel like, you know, which can work and can be like, why is this here? Does this serve the story? It's like, you can see, and I'm just making this up. I don't know for sure, but I, you can see where he might've had shots in mind and sort of like forced them into the movie where it probably would have been better served if they were cut, you know, but, but it's like, he knew he wanted these shots, but that's, you know, that's the director's prerogative and it works or it doesn't based on your watching. And I also still feel like, even though I'm not uh, sad anymore, I can still sort of drum up those feelings and sort of vibe with the vibe of this movie. Even, and that's just because I think there's a lot to say about the, the straight white man's tale has been told enough and we need other voices. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that it can be, I can see, totally understand why people are like over it. Cause this, this tale has been told, you know, the graduate, it's got that sort of vibe to it of right. just like, why are you so fucking sad? And you know, sometimes the reason is, I don't know but I want to express it through this movie, you know? Sure. And, and I think that's that it can be both things. And I, and being the exact target audience helps me a lot where I'm like straight white male in the mid twenties in 2004. Hell yeah. This is me, baby. And I also like that the scene where they're saying goodbye in the airport and it's very like dramatic, you know what I mean? And, and very maudlin cause they're, you know, came by like, they're like 24. Four or whatever, 25 years old. Right. Like I went through that every time I, I was seeing a girl in college and we were, you know, in a long distance relationship. And every time we had to like, the other person had to fly or whoever was leaving. It was like this big, dramatic, teary goodbye. Cause we were fucking 20 year old idiots, you know, like, and that's what they are. That's, they're not, you know, true. And I think that there's something to be said for just telling the story you want to start. Now, like that doesn't mean it doesn't have a lot of problems that you can't address, but I think that your inner child is not an idiot because I think this movie with a lot of flaws accomplished what it was trying to do and also had some kick-ass music that I still really like. Damon, what do you think? Um, I feel like this movie might be suffer from a little bit of uh, Nickelbackitis, which is like everyone. It's very easy to dunk on Nickelback, and it's yeah. very easy to dunk on Garden State. Yeah, and when you really get down to it, like yeah, I'm not a big fan of Nickelback. 
Are they the absolute worst band I've ever heard? No, because I've been to open mic nights. Because Papa Roach is <laughs> still here, and I would like to talk about them again. Guys, come on in. <laughs> Papa Roach, thank you for coming, both of you. So this movie was not as bad as I thought it would be, um, but that didn't mean I enjoyed it. It just, it's, it... <laughs> I think it's it's got a little, maybe a little bit over its skis. I think it wanted to do a lot of things that it just wasn't ready to do. I don't think it had, you know, characters set up. I think, I mean, I mean, when I said it reminded me of like writing workshops, it really feels like a young person's yeah. first attempt at writing fully fleshed out characters. And they're not fully fleshed out. They're just sort of like, you know, a pile of quirks and you know some people do that to great effect wes anderson sometimes gets away with yeah yeah pile of quirks with a hat on and that's that's the character but i think he also a lot of times gets away with it because he tends to lean more into comedies than this movie is right yeah i mean a lot i don't know if there's any character that's really all that compelling except maybe ann dowd's character there's a weird she hugged she love you she love did. a hug. She lo- she loves a hug. Oh Jesus, hugging. Um another coming, another strike against this movie. It's coming back. But I really wanted to hate this movie or really want to think this movie has sort of gotten maligned over the past years. And I guess if I have to choose one, I think it's gotten overly maligned. I think it became cool to hate it right. after a while. If you want to reexamine it, go ahead, but your inner child was an idiot. This movie <laughs> is a snooze and is very frustrating to watch. It's full of white boy self-importance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think your 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 comment about like there hey, white kids, give someone else the mic for a minute. Right. And just right. let let someone else cuz this story does not need to be told again, but it's going to be in the reboot. 2026 is coming at you. Garden State. This time near Trenton. <laughs> This time, yeah, the bridge is blocked. <laughs> this time, Chris Christie plays Zach Braff. I don't know. Yeah, this movie's annoying. But I don't think it's terrible. It's just annoying. I think, like, two things. One, you know, I can very much see people being like, this is some white people shit. And I totally get it. I think all of the like all of that criticism is, is 100% fair. And also, I don't... I think this movie might fall the other direction if it weren't for the music. Like I am just like instantly transported. And obviously I'm super into music. If you didn't know, like, um, like if, if, if I weren't so like a gig, I go, yeah, I might get home after midnight cause I got a gig. Like if it weren't for the songs that I still generally like, they, they do a lot of uh, enticement for me to like they they allow a lot of forgiveness for me because like I'm like not even paying attention to this boring scene I'm just like oh stinking like so you know what I mean like uh-huh. I'm just like I'm just vibing and then oh we're in a different we were I guess we were driving I don't know I don't know what just happened I was just jamming highway hypnosis yeah I mean it, it has the energy of a you know dorm room yes <laughs> you know pot smoking session it's just like, oh, yeah, you guys are all very philosophical and clever. Good job. Oh, is that a Scarface poster? Cool. Great. What do you think, everybody? Email us, your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can call us or text us, 615-576-0525. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on all the social medias, your Twitters, your Instagram. Damon usually does a great drawing for us. Uh, usually do. Usually, usually they're great. Sometimes they're awful. I always do a drawing, and usually... 
I do a great drawing. Sometimes I, I tell him they're good and <laughs> give him a pat on the head. We want to thank our current patrons, including Jonathan Day, Demons Australian Accent, Heather Tuggle, the Supreme Ruler of this podcast, Christine in Brooklyn, Dramatically Placed Hot Dog, The Zesty, Joshua Nicholson, Karen Curd, Larissa Maestro, Lindsay Nell, T. Smith, Jeremy Powell, Just Cuz, Kevin from Cleveland, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Brandon Hardy, his honor the mayor. My neighbor, Burrito. Ooh, Thursdays on NBC. <laughs> Dan McIntyre. And Jacob Grimm. Thank you guys very, very much. We really appreciate your support uh, for helping us uh, make the show. You can become a patron like them. Patreon.com slash Drew and Child is an idiot. Me, uh, play us out. Oh, God. Why, why don't you just like, you, you can just uh, pon- pontificate. I, do, do I just like look behind you or do I look, uh, is it okay if I just look over here? I'm just going to, I'm just going to look right into the camera. Oh, and- uh, mm, okay. Uh, uh, no, yeah, that's that's fine. You can just look right at me. I just, I don't know, what is this on my my knee here? I just gotta. Hey, just oh yeah. Look oh, at me. no, 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 bro. no! Look at me, bro. I don't want to. It's getting more uncomfortable, bro. I don't know why I'm also saying bro. I doesn't really fit the character. <laughs> is that uh, is that your Bob Marley poster? Or did you get that? Uh, <laughs> did you get that handed down to you from your grandpa? Also a big Marley fan. I also have uh, my Bush Light uh, cans up on the shelf there. Oh, I see that. I, and that's nice because that's an interesting design choice. So it's good. You go with the cans, though, rather than bottles. Keep the cans. It, you know... Better for the environment, too, you asshole. Brady, uh, I can't deny the logic of